0: into the hearts of these people and so they asked brothers what shall we do now the term there brothers it's a it's um it's an affectionate term they were calling peter and these guys fools just a few minutes ago are they drunk what's going on but now the word of god has penetrated the hearts and they're saying brothers what shall we do that phrase could also be translated brothers what hope is there for us that's really the sense of the phrase it's not just asking okay what logical step do we take next brothers okay I hear you, what do we do? Really, the sense of the phrase there in the Greek is simply that, brothers, what hope is there for us? If, if, if Jesus is the Messiah and he is victorious over his enemies, and if what you're saying is true, we have, we have murdered the Messiah, then what hope could there be for us? So, what I want to ask us this morning is that what are we to do with the bad news of what we have done in our sin? What are we to do with this bad news, first of all? We're going to get to the good news in a second, but what are we to do? How are we to respond when we, when we realize how sinful we really are? The first thing I want us to see is that Peter calls for them to renounce our old allegiance by turning from sin and self. Verse 38, Peter says, said to them, repent, repent. You guys have probably heard this, but the word repent literally means to turn. So kids, on your kids notes there, I ask you what the word repent means. And there's three signs there. And it literally means to make a 180 degree turn, to head the opposite direction. The way I always explain it to the kids whenever I'm counseling a child on salvation is that repentance is like you're driving down the road and you passed where you were heading. Let's say you're going to Walmart and you pass it and it's back there. And you say, mom, we got to turn. You've got to make a 180-degree turn to go back to where you're supposed to be going. And the fact of the matter is God is here. Sin is taking us this way. And repentance is turning, turning back to God and turning away from sin. So Peter calls on them to repent. It was the same message that Jesus preached. Matthew chapter 3, verse 2. Jesus starts off his ministry by saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's the other thing. As I was reading this book on, uh, on the emergent church this week, it just blows me away how the word repent isn't used anymore. Because I said, well, we need to talk about social justice and living in harmony. That's great. We can talk about that. I do want us to, to be, a ch- churches need to be, do need to take care of those who are poor, and those who are needy, and we need to be focusing on social justice. But repentance is the change that makes us able to carry out the social justice in the manner in which God wants us to. And so, repentance is key. It's always been part of Jesus' message. People say, well, Jesus didn't preach turn or burn. Well, he actually did. Jesus talks about hell almost more than anything else other than money. He talks about money and hell more than anything else in the scripture. And those are the two things we like to avoid in the church, don't we? We don't want to talk about money. We don't want to talk about hell. Well, if we want to do what Jesus did, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he gives that mission to us as well. Luke 24, verse 47. This is what he says, that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. So it's our mission as well. We are to preach repentance. We are to preach turning from sin, turning from self. Repentance is the right response before our guilt before God. Unfortunately, like I said earlier, it's, It's sorely lacking today. We're hardwired against repentance. Okay, repentance, I want you to notice, it's different than being cut to the heart. Okay, he says they were cut to the heart. If they had repented when they were cut to the heart, then he wouldn't have told them, hey, then they said, what do we need to do? He says, repent. And they didn't say, well, we already did that. So what I'm trying to say is this, repentance is different than feeling bad about your sin. It's a very different thing. You can feel bad, You can feel horrible about your sin. You can say you're cut to the heart. You can have tears over how you feel about your sin and it still not be repentance. Because repentance is actively turning away from the sin and turning back to God. Repentance is proved through your works. That's why he says repent and be baptized. Because the baptism is the proof that the repentance is real. And so repentance is turning away from your sin. It's not just feeling bad about your sin. You know, the, the, I think the, the, um, the greatest example of this I can give in scripture is simply the difference between Judas and the difference between Peter, Peter and Judas. Both of them felt bad about their sin. Both of them denied Christ. Judas denied Christ for 30 pieces of silver. Peter denied Christ so that he wouldn't be embarrassed sitting around a campfire and maybe get accused of being with Jesus. Both of them denied the Lord. One of them both of them had tears. One of them threw his money back to the priest and said, this, uh, this is blood money. We've we, we betrayed an innocent man. And he went out and hung himself. And the other one wept. And we read in John chapter 21 that he was restored. And that God gave him, Jesus gave him a commission to go feed my lambs, feed my sheep. So what was the difference between the two? I believe the difference between the two is 2 Corinthians 7.10. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, for godly grief, produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret but worldly grief produces death judas went and hung himself worldly grief you can be sad over your sin you can be disappointed with yourself you can be frustrated with your mistakes you can be cut to the heart that you've done things that have offended god and you can be very sad about it but it can matter none and it'll just lead to death and it'll lead to further guilt and guilt upon guilt upon guilt upon guilt but repentance is letting go of the sin, turning away from it, saying, God, I turn back to you and allowing him to restore us and to forgive us. And so there's a difference between just being sad over our sin and repentance. And it's very important for us to see that today. So just because someone's grieving over sin doesn't mean they have repented. True repentance will inevitably be followed by new attitudes, allegiances, and actions. So the next thing we're to do with our bad news is that we're to turn. We're to Turn from our sin and we're to declare and demonstrate a new allegiance to Jesus Christ. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin. Now we get into a fairly controversial passage here. Some have concluded from this passage that the passage teaches that baptism itself actually is what brings about your forgiveness of your sins. In other words, the act of being baptized has some sort of salvific effect. So I guess it would be, you know, you're, you're in the water, you go down, you come up, and the sins are floating in the water or something like that. Okay, that's kind of the image that some people have as a result of this passage right here. Now, I'll state this morning that that's not the case, and I base it on a few different things. First of all, okay, this is the, least, um, this is the argument with the least weight, but linguistically... That prepositional phrase right there, for, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, it can also mean on the account of or on the basis of the forgiveness of sins. It can be translated that way. Now, the translators of the ESV, I don't know how yours is translated, translators of the ESV decided to go with the way it's normally used. That prepositional phrase is normally used like this. But there are some instances in Scripture, Matthew 3, 11, 12, 14, and Mark 1, 4, where it's used the other way, where it says... On the basis of, so if you used it that way, it could be translated, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, on the basis of the forgiveness of sins. All right, but I think that's the least um, important argument here. More importantly is the fact that it's totally inconsistent with the rest of scripture to say that baptism actually forgives you of your sins. Because nowhere else in scripture do we read that baptism is what brings about our salvation, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For grace you have been saved, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. And finally, there's other passages that link baptism. That There are no other passages, I should say, that link baptism and forgiveness of sins. This is the only one in all of Scripture that links baptism with forgiveness of sins. All the other passages of Scripture, and I'm just going to focus on some here in Acts uh, just talk about repentance and um, and confession of to the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 3:19 says, "Repent, therefore, turn again, that your sins may be blotted out." This is another sermon Peter gives. It's Peter's second sermon. Okay, repent. He doesn't talk about being baptized this time. He just repent, and your sins will be blotted out. Acts chapter 16, verse 31. Remember the story: of the Philippian jailer falls on his knees and says, "What must I do to be saved?" And they tell him. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Acts 5.31. Okay, we read that God exalted him, Jesus, at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. So again, repentance is linked with the forgiveness of sins, but baptism is not mentioned. Acts chapter 26, verse 18. Paul talking about his commission. He says that Jesus sent him to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. How are we sanctified? By faith in him. Two verses later, Paul says, I declared first to those in Damascus and then in Jerusalem and then throughout all the region of Judea and also to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. So I think what baptism is is simply a deed in keeping with our repentance. But here's the most important one. I'm going to take you to a passage in First Corinthians. Okay, Paul is dealing with some factions in this church that he has planted. He's dealing with some factions in this church. Some of them are following Apollos. Some of them are following Peter. Some of them are following him. And he's saying, hey, we should all be following Jesus. It's not about Apollos, Peter. It's all about Jesus. And he says, you know, he was actually glad that he hadn't baptized many of them. He said, I've only baptized like three of you. He said, I'm glad I haven't baptized many of you because, or else you'd be following me. And this is what he says. He says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. If baptism is a vital part of the gospel, then why on earth would, Peter, would Paul say something like that? If baptism is what actually forgives the sins, then why would Paul say, God didn't send me to baptize. He sent me to preach the gospel. Because Paul knew, and we should know from the scriptures, that the forgiveness of sins comes from the gospel message of repentance and faith in Christ. That's where the forgiveness of sins comes from. So I say all that to simply say, this baptism is important though. What does he mean here when he says to get baptized? Well, uh for the Jews, during that time, they would have proselytes. If they if someone someone became a Jew or 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 converted to Judaism, I should say, and they were Gentile and they converted to Judaism, what they had to do was be baptized into Judaism. So the symbol for them was to changed their allegiance from their Gentile heritage now to their new Judaism. And so what it meant to them was to identify themselves with something new. And so when he says, be baptized, he's saying, not only should you turn from your sins, you should be radically identified with Jesus Christ. You know what? If we're not willing to radically identify ourselves with Jesus Christ, then we're not saved. I don't have any way to say it other than that. He says, be willing to change your allegiance from what you're currently doing, which is your sin and yourself and your works and all that you're trying to do to please God and turn away from that and just put your faith in Christ. Repent of your sins. Put your faith in him. Identify yourself with him in the name of Jesus Christ. Romans six fourteen. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life baptism is a profession of faith it was for them there today we've kind of separated it okay someone someone let's say we're in the service today and there's someone that comes forward and says hey i want to receive jesus as my lord and savior we go and we we counsel with them and talk to them and maybe next week we we present them to church hey so-and-so here has accepted jesus as their lord and savior that's great we all smile we we say great amen d comes up and prays over him and begins to cry and uh, and then uh <laughs> sorry <laughs> um and then I'm sorry. That was, a, that was a low blow. I'm really sorry. Um, but then we, we schedule a baptism. Okay, well, like four months from now, we're going to have some baptisms, and we'll schedule it then. And, okay, today we separate it. For them, it was immediate. Come forward, repent, confess Jesus as Lord, now get baptized, show. This is a deed in keeping with your repentance. Be baptized. And that's what they did. They were baptized right then and there. All 3,000 of them put their lives on the line by being baptized. Immediately, they were a target. 3,000 people, when they were baptized, they became a target. Because they knew what had happened 50 days before, that Jesus was brutally murdered. And now they had the same target on their back. So this baptism is an important thing. Okay? It's important for us to make a public expression of our faith. It's vital. It's vital. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, then I'll be ashamed of you. A public expression of our faith is absolutely important. And I've likened it to a ring. Y'all have heard this plenty of times before. Someone can stop my son's uh, lip balm or whatever that's rolling across the floor. Uh, It's like a ring. It's like a wedding ring. This ring has no effect at all. Okay, it's not, it's not precious. All right, it's not Lord of the Rings here. It has no effect. It is simply a ring. Okay. But what it is, it's a very important symbol because I wear this ring to show people that I have made a commitment, a marriage commitment to my wife and that it's an eternal commitment. And so that's why this is important. So I wear it. I want a public display of the fact that I love my wife and that I've committed to her. So that's what baptism is like. It's this public display of our commitment to Christ. When we respond in such a way The bad news fades into gloriously good news. Why is the bad news now good? Because if they will repent, if they will declare Jesus as Lord, if they'll switch their allegiance from sin and self into Jesus, then there's great, glorious, good news. The first one I want us to see is that God promises forgiveness of all our offenses against Him. He promises forgiveness of all of our offenses against Him. Forgiveness of your sin. It's the same thing as saved. If you're reading the Scripture that God... We're saved by our faith in Christ, or we're saved. And then you read another passage that says, you know, you receive forgiveness and sins. It's the same thing. Well, what are we saved from? We're saved from the just wrath of God. God is just in punishing sin. Like I said earlier, when we were mixing up the yummy cookies up here, one sin is enough to keep us out of heaven, and not only keep us out of heaven, but to receive eternal wrath from God. Because God is infinitely perfect, therefore one sin is. One sin against an infinitely perfect God deserves infinite wrath and punishment. Therefore, when we're saved, we are saved from God's wrath. Remember that these people have been accused of murdering God's Son. And you remember what I preached a few weeks back, that that's also for us. That we're also murderers of God's Son. But God promises forgiveness if we'll turn from that terrible, putrid sin and seek a new way of life, a new allegiance to God. And declare him king of our lives. Ephesians 1.7, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Not until we understand our offense can we appreciate the level of forgiveness that God offers to us. But when we do and when we turn, he also gives us another promise. God promises forgiveness of all of our offenses against him and promises to dwell with us forever through his spirit. Okay, we'll have a dwelling with Christ and with God forever after we pass away from this life into the next. But even now, even now, He dwells with His people. What an amazing thing. God not only forgives the sin that we, we deserve hell for, He not only forgives this rotten sin, but He also gives us Himself. That's an amazing thing. I mean, it'd be, it'd be good enough news just to say, okay, I've been forgiven. But it's even more good news to know that And my spirit is going to be with you. his Holy Spirit is going to reside with us. And that's what Peter speaks of here. He talks about how they have now received the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1, 13-14 says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, gospel means good news, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is our guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of God. Of His glory. This is good news. We have His Spirit guiding us, helping us, convicting us, enabling us, teaching us, protecting us, defending us, strengthening us, equipping us, and making us more into the image of Christ every day. It is a guarantee that we belong to God. If you don't have the Spirit of God working in your heart, in other words, if you can commit sin still today, Say you say you're a believer, you say you're a Christian, maybe you've gone through all the steps and you've been baptized, but you know what? You step out of this, this cafeteria today and you go out and you can commit sin and feel no regret over it, no conviction over it. You have no desire to follow God's will. You have no desire for Jesus to reign over every little bitty area of your life. Guess what? There's no evidence then that the Holy Spirit is residing within you because the Holy Spirit doesn't let us do that. The Holy Spirit makes us feel convicted. We've done something wrong. The Holy Spirit guides us into make right decisions. doesn't mean we're perfect because we're daily being made more into the image of Christ. So we're daily learning to submit more and more to His Lordship, which means submitting to His Spirit. So that new allegiance, we declare it when we're baptized. We declare allegiance to Jesus. But guess what? All of our life until we die and we're finally with Him, all of our life we'll be learning how to, be alleg- how to show that allegiance to Christ. Every day. We'll learn how to show that allegiance to Christ more and more. So this is good news. Some concluding observations, and then I just want to make some statements about us as a church and some models that we see here in this passage. And we're going a little bit long, Mark, so I'm going to ask you to just do one song at the end today. First of all, we see here where it says the promise. Okay, This promise is talking about both forgiveness and the receiving of the Holy Spirit. And notice that he talks about it's for you. These are individual decisions. Okay? We're not a believer because we were born into a certain family. But he does say the promise is for you and for your children, which means that children can be saved. It breaks generational barriers. A child can receive the promises too. And it's for all who are far off, Gentiles and Jews. Now, I'm not sure Peter knew exactly what he was saying here. Peter said all who are far off. And he may have been thinking, okay, the Jews who are far off, like the Jews living over in Rome. It's for them, too, because we know we'll read later on in Acts that Peter had a little bit of a problem getting past this this um, uh, racial barrier and starting to preach the news to the good news to the Gentiles. And so I'm not sure he knew exactly what he meant here, but I believe that God meant it's for all who are far off, not for Jews who are far off, all who are far off. So the gospel has no barriers. It's for everyone whom the Lord calls to himself. Ultimately, God is sovereign over all who come to him this is important everyone who god calls into himself god is sovereign over all who are saved okay jesus himself said all the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me i will never cast out he also said no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and i will raise him up on the last day that's comforting to me because if i'm sitting on an airplane. Hey, you, sometimes, you, sometimes you'll hear the phrase, well, if you don't witness to the person sitting beside you on the airplane, their blood is on your hands. I don't believe that's the case. I do think we have an obligation out of our obedience and love for Christ to share our faith with people. But God is ultimately the one who works in their heart and brings them to faith. So we don't have to go around guilt-ridden all the time. The only thing we should get, be guilty about is if we're not sharing our faith. We should be guilty about that. But we don't have to be guilt-ridden if people aren't responding. And people aren't doing coming to faith simply because we're sharing it with them. The Bible says, as I mentioned earlier, he said, with many other words. He calls them a crooked generation. That means a generation that's bent against God. And that's not just his generation. That's every generation. As Deemer's been teaching through his class, every generation since the fall of mankind has been bent against God. And it says they received his word... I think this is important for the baptism debate. It says they received his word and then were baptized, 3,000 of them. So you have to receive the gospel message first and then you're baptized. Now I want to make some observations that should affect the way we operate as a church. And this passage as a whole should be a model to us in a variety of ways. Number one, this is a model for preaching. This is a model for preaching because he preaches from the scriptures. Preaching is not storytelling. Preaching is heralding the Word of God. That's what it is. Preaching is not, um, you know, pep talks. Preaching is not just a comedy show. Preaching is heralding the Word of God. And that's what Peter does. From three different passages of Scripture, he takes the Word of God and he exposits it. It brings out the meaning of the text and gives them application for it. So this is a model for preaching. It's also a model for sharing the gospel or evangelism. Let me say this as carefully as I can. You can't just share the good news. Because if people don't know they're sinners and that they're separated from God and that their sin is an extreme offense to an infinite God, they're not going to understand their need for the good news. Why do I need salvation? Why do I need to be saved? I'm a good guy. I give to United Way and I, I, I vote Republican and, you know, I'm a good guy. No offense, I'm sorry. Just joking. Just <laughs> joking. Just kind of, this is just a, a scenario there. All right. <laughs> Kristen's shooting darts at me. All right. I was just joking. Just joking. Yeah, I got D once. All right. So, no, what I'm saying is if we think we've got the checklist. Okay, I've done all this good stuff. Sure, I've done some bad things in my life. But I am such a good person compared to Saddam Hussein. I mean, I'm good. You know what? Unless people understand the bad news, and that is that none of us are good, all of our righteous deeds are like filthy rags before the Lord. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of the sin is death. Then how on earth can they understand their need for the good news, the the salvation? And so this is a model for how we share our faith. It's a model for teaching people that there's a greater treasure than what this world has to offer. Next thing I want us to see, this is a model for church growth. All whom God called unto himself. You know, you don't always have 3,000 respond to a sermon. All right. Rarely do you have 3,000 respond to a sermon. Okay. You might have 3,000 leave because of a sermon. But rarely do you have 3,000 come because of a sermon. But you know what? The Bible nowhere says that this was Peter's work. What a great job Peter did. It says that God's the one who called on these people. God's the one who added to them. Matter of fact, later on in this passage, we'll read in the next section that God was adding to their number every day. Who was adding to their number? God was adding to their number every day. And therefore, we rest in the sovereign work of God. And we rest and we trust that he's going to grow the church. But we do have to be evangelizing. It's one of our weaker areas as a church. We need to be doing more evangelism. Finally, there's a model for responding to God's word. And I mean this personally. Personally. Some of you in here say, well, you know what? I've already received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Perhaps you have. But this is a model for responding whenever God begins to work in our heart. Okay? Repentance and allegiance. So maybe it's something small in our life that God's been dealing with, and we feel cut to the heart because we don't feel good about it. I haven't done a good job with this area of my life. Well, guess what? Just like we repented from our sins and received salvation... Daily, we should be repenting daily, 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 guys, daily. Every day, we all have something to repent of. If you go to bed at night without repenting of your sins, shame on you and shame on me. Because every day, we do something we should turn from. And so, turning from our sin and saying, God, I am not, this area of my life is an area where I don't have you reigning over. And so, God, I, I'm sorry, I to cut to the heart, I'm turning from this, and I want you show me how to have you be the lord over that area of my life and help me holy spirit to carry that out it's a model for responding to god's word so the gospel it's been god's plan from the beginning this is the last part of this sermon of this of this sermon that peter preached and we'll get on to what god begins to do in the church it's exciting to see the next passage one of my favorite passages in all of scripture and you look at the inner workings of how their church took care of each other so I look forward to preaching that next week. Right now, what I want to do is bow our heads and close our eyes. And I don't know the spiritual condition of a single person in this room. I bet you anything, with everyone's head bowed and eyes closed, I bet you anything, of the 3,000 people that went that, forward that day, I bet some of them were false converts. I wouldn't be surprised. Some of them just got caught up in the moment, made an emotional decision, thought, hey, I'm pretty safe. There's 3,000 of us here. And they made a false decision, and they fell away from the church. Matter of fact, we know in a couple of passages, we'll see, some people who were not true believers that were already in the church. So I don't know the condition of the 30 or 40 that are here this morning, but God does. So what I want us to pray this morning is that God will penetrate your heart, cut you to the heart. Sometimes it hurts. Cut us all to the heart and help us to repent from anything we need to repent of this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come to you right now, God, I ask your forgiveness of my sins, Lord. I have not taken time this morning, even before I preach, to really focus on repentance But God, I know that daily we should be repenting. Daily we should be looking at where we've messed up and allowing you to do a work in our heart. God, pride and ego are so hard to overcome because we don't like to admit our mistakes. And God, I'm the first. I don't like admitting my mistakes, but God, I pray that you'd make me miserable and make every single one of us in here miserable until we deal with the sin in our life and repent and turn from it. And God, if there's anyone in here who's never dealt With just coming to you that very first time and saying, yes, Jesus, I want you to be king of my life. And so I'm turning from my sin and myself and my sinful way of living. Even if it's not something really bad, even if I live just your average Joe American life. God, I pray that if there's anyone here that's in a situation that you need to turn to you and receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior, God, that you begin to do that work in their heart right now. So, Lord, we pray that you'd move, that your spirit would have freedom. God, as we sing some songs here in a second, we pray that your spirit would just have freedom. God, we don't want to cage you in. God, we want you to have freedom. So, Lord, we pray that you'd move in our hearts, cut us all to the heart of our sin. And, Lord, deal with this this morning as we sing these songs. With every head bowed and every eye still closed, I want you to know the way we kind of do things here is if you want to accept jesus christ as your Lord and savior i usually don't do very many altar calls but today i'm going to make a change i'm just going to do an altar call today so i'm going to be standing up here as mark leads us in a song and you can come you can talk to me i'm going to be off to the right but there's also the prayer basket up here there's our offering basket up here where you can leave your offering you can leave your prayer this is a time for everyone to respond i never call the end of a service an invitation intentionally because it's just a time to respond to respond to whatever god's doing in your heart you can respond in your seat or you can respond up front, however you want to respond. So, Heavenly Father, we ask now again that you'd have freedom, your spirit would move. Help us to respond in a way that's appropriate to you. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to stand up if we would now as we sing the song of response. Again, you can leave your prayer request here. If there's one in there, you can pick one up to take home and pray for. There's an offering basket up here. Don't feel compelled to come up and bring your offering. You can if you want to. If you want that to be part of your worship, then come do it. Or you can put it up there afterward. And then I'm going to be standing right over here if anybody wants to just come and talk about um, uh, getting right with the Lord.